banter. Hi there, and welcome to our Dairy Exporter podcast series on Fodder Beat. I'm Anne Lee, and in this podcast series, I'll be talking with Dr. Jim Gibbs from Lincoln University. So take a listen. We hope you enjoy. In this podcast, we're talking about what you do if your yield assessment came up a bit short, how you ramp back any allocations uh, and how you do that safely. We're also talking about what you do with those cows that have come in at a high body condition score at the beginning of the wintering season and how you manage them. I talked to Jim about those two issues. So wherever we can, from a management point of view, from a body condition gain point of view, we'd recommend um, ad libitum feeding. The, the, the driver and the principal driver for that is that from an animal health point of view, it's much safer. Mm. Um, th- there's always problems with restricted feeding and that line will inevitably always go down. Sometimes the, the practical reality is that if I were to feed them ad lib, I was looking for a 25 tonne crop and I made my budgets on that and didn't rain at all, it's a dryland crop somewhere and I ended up with 19 or 20 tonnes. I'm, no, I'm never going to make that maths fit and it would cost me a red fortune to readjust them somewhere or bring in silage or something else. I, I accept on occasion that there, there are reasons that they have to restrict feed. But by and large, that's a, um, a planning and a management issue. Don't plan for it. Don't, don't um, plan forward for restricted feeding. I, I accept what you said. If they're a week or two short, then they can look at the cost-benefit analysis of this. From a management point of view, they're much better to leave them as long as they can on ad-lib mm-hmm. and as short as they can on restrict feeding and then fill in the gap with something else if it pays. Mm. Um, in the times that I've been involved with some of those restrict feeding scenarios, there's sometimes some reasons why that will not happen. Carryover cows are a classic example. They begin in May at a body condition score of 5.5. Well, it's not going to be a happy ending if they have had little beet feeding for, for 60 or 70 yeah. days right across. So yeah. in cases, there's no question there has to be restrict feeding. But, but people, people need to understand with restrict feeding that in their head, they'll have a high intake ready. And the moment they go across that line, they'll eat that. It doesn't matter if they've been on six or eight kilos for three months. Um, when they go across and they eat their full intake, they'll get acidosis, they'll lie down and die. So an argument then for, against, I guess what you're saying, yeah, would be, if I feed them before they go on to this crop, or I make sure they have plenty of other supplement, the danger you're saying is that if they're hungry, they're going to push through that feeds. I don't. They don't have to be hungry though. They they can be having enough of the other, so that they aren't hungry. If they fed that before they go on to the beat, they mooch around. They eat their eight kilos. They're full. True, and and um, it is possible that you can give them a particularly palatable supplement, so it won't be hay or straw, it'll be a mix of grass solids and some other components in it typically, and you can feed them up to the level where they'll get six or eight kilos of beet and by and large they're on a herd level, they're not going to be particularly hungry. What you usually find is that they'll, once they're on to beet, they'll prefer beet over everything else. 
So it's extremely unusual that you don't have animals that are putting pressure on the line. And it might only be a few animals in a fairly large mob, but they'll be putting pressure on the line. And when they do and that line goes down, you normally expect some trouble, pretty much independent of whatever else you feed. I would add though, that a big part of our wintering approach to systems is um, the cost-benefit analysis. So if, if I want them to have full feed, I'm talking something like 14, 15 kilos if I really want that intake. So that might be beet, 12 kilos of beet plus two or three kilos of another roughage or pasture. Um, But if I'm putting in six kilos of beet and I'm suddenly putting in eight kilos of something else, I better have a beet bank account. Because that's chewing, if it's not grass and it won't be in most places in the South Island in winter, then that's chewing a big hole. I've said for many years, if it's got a string around it, it starts with a two in front of it. And if it's got plastic, it starts with a three in front of it. So you're going to be paying 20-something cents, whatever it is, or 35 cents for silage. And that's a very expensive winter diet. Mm. I I hear um, various winter approaches where people are recommended to feed four, five, six kilos. It was quite common in the early days for various groups to be suggesting that beet needed... Uh, six kilos of grass silage sounds funny to say that these days, but these people were um, this is what they were recommending six mm. kilos of grass silage. Well, you, most people would do the sums better than me on that. That's an extremely expensive winter diet. Mm. That that jacks the price. Their total winter diet jacks their price up well over twenty cents. If they're fed correctly, as so many really large beet feeders do here, their total winter diet cost is about eleven cents. So it's a if people crunch their sums on that. They're, they're talking enormous sums of money. Yeah, yeah. Um, in fact, translated into a cost structure on a milk solids basis, sometimes the differences in those winter systems can be 20 cents. Gosh. So it's not a small amount of money, no. it's a large amount of money. So I agree with you, it's, it's um, physiologically possible to put them in a position where they're not that hungry, mm-hmm. pushing them at the line, but to do so, you invest a lot of money in it for no gain. Right. You don't have a better room and environment when you're doing that. The room and environment in Adelaide beat is, yeah. we've, we've spent many years doing that repeatedly over and over and over and it's a terrific environment. Okay, so what about those cows that are going into the winter already at a pretty good body condition score? What's Jim's advice on that? Um, topical issue at the moment because there's more and more people who have fed autumn beet, winter beet and spring beet and what they're finding is that their baseline body condition is going up. So they still have a fluctuation across the season, but the baseline level of that body condition is going up and up and up. And so they would say, well, I'm, if I'm feeding them ad-lib beet for a period even of 60 days, I'm putting on better than a half a body condition score. If I'm already at 4.7, I don't want that anymore. So we've had to face this and look at different ways to do it. And um, you, you have two approaches. You can take the whole mob and say, well, I'm going to reduce their feed. Now, that's not even going to be the scenario we were just discussing before where they're feeding 14 kilos and lots of supplement. That will often be where they're pulling them back to not much beyond maintenance, calculating their body condition gain over that 60 days and saying, well, I want to be at about 5 for the mixed age and 5.5 for the heifers. Now, in those cases, make no mistake about it, those animals are hungry. Now that on beet is a, is a dangerous brew. You have mm. to be very careful. Mm. So the approach that we've taken is slightly different. What we do is we would put the whole mob on and we would transition the whole mob to ad-lib intakes. And then by eye, they would be hooked over the period of the winter. 
on body condition. So once they're approaching that body condition of five and they're up to that level, they get pulled and they get taken from that ad lib mob and put into a separate mob. And if and in most cases with the very large contractors, they'll want them to be on beat again because it's much cheaper for them and um, a, a positive management experience. What we do in those cases is that we would put them on restricted beat, but we would do it very differently. You have two paddocks. So you have a daytime beat paddock, and it depends a little bit on how much you're calculating. So if they're at maintenance, often they'll be down to four kilos of beet. And that they can eat in um, three or four hours with no difficulty at all. So what it means is that they have access to the beet in the daytime or the morning time, and then they're taken off the beet. They're put into another fenced paddock away from the beet where they're fed supplement, and they're really fed at about a little bit over maintenance for the rest of that time. So it can be a cheap way to go about it because I don't have to put a tremendous amount of supplement in. I only really am talking about four kilos there of thereabouts of total supplement come in because their total diet has to be energy maintenance and on that diet that we've just described, they'd be above it. So the, the management difference in that one is that you're not putting them in there for the whole period. You're only putting them in for a part of the day and then you're taking them out. I'll just add, there's something to be really careful on this. Um, for various reasons, there's been a number of people and some uh, terrible advice that was given briefly a few years back was that you could put cows on in the daytime and because some new entrants were worried, <coughs> some new entrants were worried about leaving them behind a wire at night. They weren't used to beat, they were, they were scared of it. So they were, uh, they were wanting to keep them off at night and they were wanting to leave them on in the day, but they still wanted them to have very high intakes. Well, going back to what we said earlier, cattle adapt very quickly. Their, their rate of intake adapts very quickly to time. So in these cases, what would happen is that they would eat up. So in some celebrated um, cock-ups around mm. this, um, advice was given for these animals to be effectively on, on uh, maximum intakes, but they were being put on the crop at eight o'clock in the morning and taken off at four o'clock in the afternoon. And every day for a couple of months, they'd have acidosis cases. Because the ad lib, as we said earlier, the ad lib intake adaptation is in its grazing behavior. And you can change that grazing behavior by your management. Right. So if you want them to have maximum intakes, you have to give them 24 hour exposure to the beat. Mm. Now there's no management risk in doing that. They're happy and they don't want to put pressure on the lines. So if they're ad lib, they're already eating as much as they can. And if the line goes down, it makes no difference. They're already, there's no animal health impact. If you restrict feeding though, there are some rules of thumb. So for example, if you're at eight kilos and you're putting them on at eight o'clock and off at four o'clock, you'll almost always have trouble. That eight kilos is enough to tip them over into rumen acidosis on that restricted time. So our rule of thumb for that is if they're going on and off in the day, then it shouldn't be more than six kilos because you, you will change the way they eat. You'll have competitive grazing behavior and they'll honk it down. So they have a different rumen at the end of that than they would if they were eating the same amount or twice that amount and they had an ad-lib environment. And they should have been transitioned to an ad-lib environment to start with. It, it helps, it doesn't, because what will happen, particularly the long feeding ones, um, they may have been transitioned to ad-lib back in late May and it might be the end of July or so when the line goes down, it always goes down. Mm. In, if a restrict feeding animals, they're always hungry. And when that line goes down, that's a long time away. So you increase your odds of a good result, but you don't change. You're gonna have some problems with that. 
that's why we, we, we never recommend restrict feeding as, a, as an elected management option. Mm. It's dangerous and it's an animal health impact. So if you've got, uh, if you have got a proportion of your cows, you know, a big enough proportion of your cows that are already at or close to, then maybe fodder feed's not for them. Yeah, sometimes they can go on to another crop where um, they're going to be fed, uh, you know, functionally at maintenance or just a little bit above that. Um, interesting thing, some of the uh, early adopters of beef were beef feeders and autumn, winter and spring feeders would ring me up and say, hey, guess what, I've got these really fat cows that are almost at five, you know, late May, and um, I'm planting kale again for the first time in 10 years or something. Mm. They'd be putting them on uh, an alternative crop that then, you know, one thing about kale is you don't put much body condition on, so it's a bit safer if you want to be doing on on um, maintenance or just above, you're not going to have those sorts of troubles if they're getting too fat most of the time. And so there's options around that. Typically, you still end up paying more cents per kilogram dry matter or cents per ME particularly if you're feeding those alternatives. So mostly in those cases, if people are hooking them, it's just a second mob and it's pretty easy to control uh, low intakes like that, short periods of time. It's often morning to um, lunchtime and then they're gone and then they're back in the other paddock mm -hmm. because they will be on restricted feed so they will be hungry. Right. So that's the end of our podcast series on fodder beet. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've found them useful.